0: This call is being recorded. Welcome to the Parker Talbot Show. Uh, I apologize for listeners. It's been a couple of weeks uh, since since uh, we last had an episode. We have a new episode today, and I'm here with a guest, Victoria Mears. How are you doing, Victoria?
1: I'm doing well. How are you, Parker?
0: Doing good. Doing good, thanks. Uh, so, Victoria, I know uh, through school uh, as well. Her and I went to BYU-Idaho together uh, went to, we were both on the same, the same improv team. Um, and I don't know, I guess you told me you're living in Colorado now, so I don't know if you get any opportunities to do improv anymore or if, um, or if that part of your life is kind of on hold right now.
1: It's a little on hold, um, but I am working with, uh, the teenage girls at church. And so we did one of our activities I taught them some improv games, so I got to use that a little bit and exercise the brain a little bit. Um, But I use the improv principles all the time. I think about it all the time. And at some point, I'll get back to finding a team or something.
0: Awesome. Awesome. That's great. Yeah, I'm definitely on hold right now, but I I surely miss it. And I think you're right. I think, you know, uh, improv has a lot of life skills to it Uh, I don't think people realize that blown to it but it certainly I feel like it certainly does um because life is all one big improv game sometimes I feel like so (laughs) but anyway so um if I remember correctly you when when we were at BYU Idaho I majored in history but you majored in um engineering I can't remember what type of engineering that you majored in though um software uh, software software engineering um, mm-hmm. And so, is that is that what you're doing now in Colorado? Then, is your using that career-wise? It or? is. I work in
1: the defense industry. I'm a software engineer in the defense industry.
0: Wow, that's that, that's
1: exciting.
0: <laughs> so then, is that like kind of uh kind of the IT world, make sure firewalls and all that and information
1: is secure. Or yeah, when I was in um, college, I kind of focused a lot on. A little more front end type things, a little more app development, website development, um, and I really lucked out on taking a network class, um, which was the hardest class for me in college. And um, I used, I was able to reference a lot of things from that class in this interview, and just by the grace of God, got this job, <laughs> and awesome. am exposed to a lot more of the networking side, a lot more of the integration side which is really neat it's been an awesome growth opportunity for me and i love what i'm learning
0: fantastic fantastic last well, day for my job i uh have to really hand it to um you know anyone who does a uh, defense i guess i don't know what you call it the uh security cyber security. security Cyber, cyber there's no cyber security thank you yeah question. cyber that. yeah cyber thank you. Because that is uh I work in fraud as well i don't I don't know if any of our listeners um i don't know if I mentioned that in any other episode but yeah, i i i also work in fraud uh not in the cyber security side, but i will say they they save our bucks and make our lives <laughs> a lot easier as we do our job um in in the fraud world so I'm curious now that we're talking about defense and fraud. Do you get to see then like how many um or when you say defense, is that like national defense we're talking, or is that Mm. Mm-hmm. Wow. wow. Yeah,
1: so the program that I work on works with the Missile Defense Agency.
0: Wow. I, I feel part of me feels like am I am I talking to like a Am I talking to someone who has information that could not be leaked right now? I'm <laughs> you know, like, no, they you know, can't even tell their husband. I
1: do work in a classified environment. Um, it's kind of fun, but it's mostly, you know, it sounds cooler than it is. But then sometimes okay. you get like a higher view and you're like, oh, this is cool. This is what I'm a part of. But what you do every day is just a normal job.
0: Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I feel like, you know, I feel like that's similar. Um, you know, you do, the, for me, you know, you do the daily grind review. I review a bunch of, usually, a bunch of uh, check copies just to make sure that people aren't pretending to be doctors to get doctor's insurance payments and they're going yeah. to be so, kind of so, yeah. And I feel like grind. you can
1: think about that with, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I think you can think about that with any job is like, you know, any job, no matter what it is. It becomes what you do every day, but you zone out a little bit, zoom out a little bit, and you see I'm contributing to society. Like this is my part in making the world work better.
0: I like that. I like that. That's a great way. That's a great way. Great way to look at it. And I think to understand too that like any job you work, you know, I think I'm doing what I would really enjoy outside of the history world. I've I've always thought fraud was super interesting, but I think sometimes we have this conception. Uh, or per- perception that um, we're gonna go into the job we love, and every day is just gonna be an adventure, and it's just gonna be you know, and and I think it's a what a great perspective to have that we're just continuing society, even sometimes it may seem dull, and B to understand that I think most jobs really are, the daily grind. I don't say the daily grind, but just you know, kind of day to day mundane, with highlights mm-hmm. in between that make it all make it yeah. all Yeah. You know.
1: I think it's oh. kind of interesting, like it's something that I've I've kind of heard. I don't know. I find it interesting to listen to people's perspective on this topic, and um, I think it's Mike Rowe. I like listening to him a lot, and because um, he's the guy who does dirty jobs. Okay. Um. Okay. And but he's got some interesting perspectives of uh, you know, especially kind of as millennials, we were kind of taught like follow your passion, and yeah. You know, he did dirty jobs to interview people who, like, they're not passionate about these dirty jobs. That's not their passion, but they do it so that they can be passionate about other things in their life. Um, And I think that's a really good perspective to have about no matter... And I think a lot of people, you know, you go through um, school and you pick this thing that you think is going to be really your passion, and then you get into the job and it's just a job. Um, And... It's gotta be uh you have to find that balance of other things in your life that um you're passionate about and i don't know i'm rambling now yeah. but I no, think that's no. an important perspective
0: i think i think that's a. I, I, I never thought about it that way, but i think uh i think that's a a great per- a great perspective to have is you know is um even if you're not passionate about your job, my job is helping me to fulfill my passions outside of that. Um, I mm-hmm. think that's wonderful. And I think, too, in, in in kind of this age where, you know, pursue your dreams, all that, I am all about that in the sense that, you know, for a lot of people say, <laughs> I'm a history major, so a lot of people say, all oh, those humanities majors, you know, <laughs> English, <laughs> art, history, what, what are you doing? Uh, so I very much endorse that, but at the same time, I endorse that with... Um, I endorse that with the caveat of if you want to go into that thing or you want to get to what your passion is and it's not the most practical, expect to work in the trenches maybe do what you don't want to do in order mm-hmm. to get there. Um, because, and that's one of the things
1: know. that I always really admired about you, Parker, was that you went into one of those majors, but you did it as you were doing something else to support yourself.
0: I do I, I thought that was that. Oh. cool. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. You know, I owe a lot of that to my dad. My dad is the one who first convinced me to be a teller. I was like, okay, fine. And then it got me interested in fraud, and and uh, and and here we are. But yeah, at the end of the day, you know, I remember as a teenager telling my parents at the, be- the beginning of my job working life, I said, I'm just, I'm not going to be a janitor. I'm not going to work fast food. I'm, just, I'm not going to do it. And I ended up being a janitor and working fast food at some point <laughs> in that phase. And I think that's something that, you know, you got to work the trenches. I feel like to to get, you gotta, you gotta walk through point A to get to point B. And I feel like that's missing. Yeah. In the, um, like
1: I had the opportunity to, um, work in the, uh, at the Idahoan potato factory during the summer. And it was like 12 hour covered in potato dust. It was like you'd spent the day at the beach, but you hadn't. And, (laughs) um, it was like 12 hour shift on your feet. And that's not something that, you know, it's, not something I would not would have wanted to do my whole life. A lot of people that I worked with there did. Um, but it was a really good experience for me to have, to know what that was like and to have experienced that.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, I, and the last thing I'll say, too, is I think with a lot of um, you know jobs that we necessarily wouldn't like, but we, we, we know we're doing them to get somewhere else, we meet people, like I said, who they do this for life. This is their job. And I think it really opens your eyes to realize just, like, um, how little were we really entitled to, I guess? Like, when we mm-hmm. see, it, I don't know if that makes sense, but just, like,
1: How much when, we take for granted the things that we have yeah, and, like, how we got them?
0: Yes, that's a better way to put it. Yes, like, you know, we think that this, you know, this is life. Yeah, people just, you know, work these these nice jobs from nine to five and and, and, and this is a, and they get these holidays off and, you know, you just kind of think this is how the world works. And then you see that mm-hmm. this isn't how the world works. So we take so much for granted of where we're at and where we came from um, and, and so.
1: Um, I think, yeah, I think uh, it makes me jumping back to like cybersecurity and networking. Yeah. Um, I think the internet is definitely one of those things. Cause, so before I got into, um, so in high school, At that point, before I went to college, the extent of my experience with computers was using them, just using um, just a typical user. And it was my brother that was like, okay, you have to take a programming class when I was signing me up for my first classes, and I really enjoyed it. Um, But before I took, like, a networking class, in my head, the cloud was a cloud, Like I had no concept. I like, I think I had a vague idea that there was a physical infrastructure of the internet, but it did not click how expansive this physical infrastructure is. And I think, um, you know, this might just be my personal experience, but I assume that um, a lot of people have this experience of just the internet is this, intangible thing that we have now and I think a lot of people have kind of like um we're entitled to the internet like the internet should be free or I don't know I feel like some people kind of have that attitude towards the internet without understanding how expensive this physical infrastructure is how much it takes to like maintain and um and how much it took to create and how genius these people were to come up with, how do we use physical um, physical signals to create this language that helps us communicate high-level human language in such crazy ways? Like, the Internet is insanely cool, and we're just kind of like, oh, yeah, it's this cloud thing we have. <laughs>
0: yeah well i I'll tell you i that is, uh, you described me and my internet, knowledge. <laughs> but I appreciate you saying that like, I think, yeah, we most think it's this you know ethereal thing, but then I forget that like behind the Google page that has all these hits that I can read in the in- plain English is this whole world of codes and everything that mhm i I certainly don't don't know, but uh so you don't yeah, I think we think the internet because the internet the whole idea is convenience and simplicity, so we think it's so. It's so easy to do as a consumer that I know for myself. But mm-hmm. I guess that like the people on the other end of it, it's no easy feat for understanding. It's a, <laughs> it's a whole, it's a whole other ball game out there.
1: And it's funny with like apps too, right? Like, I mean, as an app user, right? I'm like, oh, wouldn't it be great if they had an app for this? And I am not willing to pay a dollar for that app. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like yeah. this is going to make my life about 5% easier or a given task about 30% easier and I will not pay them 90 cents even though I know everything that went into creating that. Yeah. <laughs> um but it's but then you know when we don't pay for the app and there are ads or things that we have to unlock to use certain features we're like, "Oh, that's stupid. I'm not going to use that app anymore." Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, you know it's it's funny because I I feel like at the end of the day we 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 know that we look at a book a physical book and we know that that takes a lot of time for the author to create. We know it takes a lot of money to publish and to to make between the paper and the printing and the marketing and all that. So we look at this and we see you know we see this book is like five bucks, I'm like five bucks. That's a steal. Okay, I'm gonna buy that. But we're not willing. <laughs> To consider all the work that goes into the internet which is literally trillions of you know trillion times more information than one book could ever get us <laughs> but because it's at the click of a button we're like well <laughs> you know this, this doesn't take any work to um, then why should I spend my money or my time and it's like well, how, how much time or money do you think it got to get it took to get there Parker <laughs> like so this is a good thing for me to hear because it's yeah
1: it's true it's really fascinating um I was listening to uh a, what it was, a, a hearing in Congress, um, and they were talking about kind of, ha- it was basically haggling over the price of a product from the defense industry, okay. right? And the politician was kind of saying like, oh, you know how much of this healthcare thing we could have bought for um, this same price and it only took you this much cost for the physical, um, basically saying, why don't you just charge us the amount for the physical materials? And it's like in the defense industry, I'm like, well, because someone had to design those physical materials. Someone had to think about the problem that you needed that, that product for and make sure that those physical materials were organized in a way (laughs) that, um, that solved your problem. They had to do it on a deadline. The government has insane red tape, like the bureaucracy in the defense industry. Crazy. Like the it's, it's crazy anyway. (laughs) So, um, you've got all of these things and in the end it was, we bid you the best. We were competing against all of these other, um, companies and you agreed that this was the best deal so why are you coming back and haggling now and so it's just interesting i feel like there's um part of our culture is just kind of this um doesn't take into account everything past the materials too everything past what they can see in the creation of a product it's really interesting
0: yeah, absolutely, and that's uh man, that's a good, that's a, that's a, that's a good reminder, good reminder for me, I, I remember, um, I was in an economics course, and he talked about, I can't remember who it was, I should know, because I love history, the King Louis the something, 14th, I can't remember, one of those corrupt kings of the, before the French Revolution, and he talked about how he could, uh, have, he had, like, his chef, I think, prepare, like, I can't remember how many different dishes, like five, six, seven different dishes every night, like an insane amount, because that way he had his choice of what he wanted, and so then he chewed the dish he wanted, and that the dishes, I guess, were either discarded or just eaten by the staff. I don't know. Like, every night, his chef much preparing eight, 12 times many meals, uh, so that way, he had a wide variety. Crazy. But then he brought it to perspective, and he said, you know, think about where we're at. You know, you can go If you want to go out to dinner right now, um, you have as many options as the team had. And his argument is we have infinitely more. We can go get Italian, go get Mexican, we can go get Chinese, we can go to Walmart. And so I think because we live in a world of so much stuff and we can literally choose, we we have millions of options for everything. Yeah, we take for granted how much each of one of those individual things, took to get to fruition and how long it takes to make a product, whether it's a, a cyber product or whether it's a physical product. I don't think we comprehend that anymore because we're just, we're so far out from the, from the days where, um, you know, you had to, if you wanted a special product, you had to send for it and you had to wait for it to get made and manufactured by the specialists and all that. And those days are gone. So we really just don't even consider how much time goes into to making things, um, And it's, it's, yeah, it's an interesting thing to think about.
1: Yeah. I think it's really interesting, too, on, like, a societal level of the things that we criticize about our society today. Um, And not just our society today, because I think that's important to, you know, evaluate our society today. But um, I think sometimes the point to which we condemn the past, Mm -hmm. I think we forget all of this luxury that we have today and the extra time that we have, the extra availability that we have, because, you know, like, I don't know, right now I'm I'm listening to an interesting book about um, basically women and power dynamics and um, women's place in history as women become more, um, we tell more of our story than we have been able to, in the past Uh um and how that changes the world and so that's interesting and at the same time i'm also listening to lectures about um from kind of a more like understanding the benefits of a patriarchal society or our patriarchal society um and so i'm kind of like getting i don't i don't really see them as two separate sides of an issue, but more like perspectives that give you a more dynamic perspective on an issue. And my point is that, um, that it's interesting to think about like, you know, women in engineering and, um, and in the workplace, like that's, um, it's, it's newer that we've been able to, that it's so easy to take care of your house, right? Like working 10 hour days and my husband working and going to school like we have a room bus so i don't have to vacuum or he and he doesn't have to vacuum and like um we can go to on nights that we don't want to cook we can go to the um the drive-through and we can do things like that when that wasn't an option and so someone had to stay home um huh. someone had to maintain the home and i think like those kinds of things, and we can talk about, um, you know, how that was executed and different ways it probably could have been done better. But we weren't living in those circumstances, we have all of these luxuries of, of, um, nobody really has to do the housework because we have rob- robots that do it. I don't know, right? There's my ramble well, on that subject.
0: No, I, I never thought of it, but I love that. I think. You know, there's these menial, uh, well, seemingly menial or mundane uh, 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 topics of history. Um, you know, there's such there's things, things out there as food historians and they just do the history of food. And in that same vein, I think things like um, the history of, you know, what it looked like to, um, you know, to, to, I guess, the history. What I'm trying to say, like the history of what, of what it looked like to be in the home uh, in the 1950s, as opposed to now, and the different innovations we have now, as opposed to then, and all that, you know, you take those like seemingly menial parts of history, but you really have to use them to form the context for the larger parts of history, such as right, um, women's history and all, all sorts of other parts. So I never really thought about it that way, in, in the sense that like we while well, it's safe to say there certainly were cultural norms of the past that were not okay, at the same time, we also have to say that, like you said, well, when robot stuff aren't doing things for you, someone has to do – I mean, it, it, it feasibly could not – some some things feasibly can't work. So it's, I've never mm-hmm. seen anything to put on it. I hope I'm understanding correctly what you just said, I'm not – yeah, yeah.
1: and it's not something that you can say, well, this is how it was, and so everything's okay, but it's just no. like, well, let's look at all of it, let's just talk about all of it, it's not a conversation, and I think a lot of the conversations we're having nowadays is like, let's have this conversation in two minutes, and it's like, no, this is a conversation that you have to have with yourself over decades, <laughs> it's conversations that we have to discover together over Humanity's history. This is not something you can solve in ten minutes.
0: Oh, I love that. I love that. And, and I think you know it's a lot easier to talk about these things um, out of context. To take one subset, you know, and and talk about just like that one one issue, because when you realize that you really have to put everything into context and look at it as a whole, it becomes a lot messier. It becomes a lot more difficult to really. Um, to really work with, and it becomes a lot less. It beca- yeah, it becomes a lot less right and wrong, black or white, but more a lot of complexity and a lot of gray areas. And so I think we're living in a spot in society where we want to solve in ten minutes because that's easier to do. But by doing mm-hmm. that, we we pull things completely out of context and don't look at it as a whole panoramic picture. And I think. Ultimately, you know, there's two states of mind. Some two states of mind in history is there's presentism, meaning that we look at the past completely through our present eyes, and that's not a mm-hmm. good thing to do because then everyone looks terrible, right? You know, if you look at 1805 through 2021, yeah. But then there's also the other side of romanticism, which seeks to make everything of the past look like the good old days, and that's not good either. So I think right. You know, as putting it as it, looking at it as a whole picture and having that conversation as an ongoing conversation, I think is a remedy to that. Try to find that middle ground, so we're not completely presentist, or we're not completely romanticist mm-hmm. either, because both of those extremes can get you into trouble. I think. And. Uh, well, um, but I guess in, in, on that same, in that same thing, but di- well, something you mentioned made me think. So I know when we were in school, you were actually, uh, I don't i know if you were part of it or if you were head of it, but the, the society, what is it called, the Society for Female Engineers? That-
1: yeah, Society okay. of Women Engineers, we. I was the president. Okay. Um, for a little while. And um, we weren't an official chapter. We were kind of working on that. Um, but it's an international society, pretty oh, sure. I'm, international. Okay. Um know that. either national or international. Um but it's it's a pretty awesome thing and um it's it's really interesting. Uh uh it's I loved it. <laughs> oh. I loved it because um one of the things was I got into um software engineering because my brother told me I needed to take a coding class and I really enjoyed it. And I went that down that route, but then it was really cool to talk to all of these girls and find out all of uh, learn about all of these other engineering majors. And it was kind of like, Ooh, I wonder if I'd been exposed to that. If I understood that, like if I'd been interested, like, um, when I was in high school, the guy I was dating, um, he wanted to be an engineer and I was like, well, what does that mean? And he was like, um, <laughs> uh, uh-huh. I never really got like a straight answer. My concept of engineers were, you know, the older guys at church who you <laughs> typically did not communicate in the most like, um, I don't know, communicable ways, yeah. quiet yeah. ones. Um, yeah. and so, I didn't really have a concept of engineering until I started taking these classes and I was like, Oh, engineering is problem solving. That's it. <laughs> and you have all of these different kinds of engineers and you've got civil engineers and that's just solving, you know, structural problems and software engineers and all of these different kinds of engineers. It's just solving problems in different industries. Um, and I was like, I like doing that. I like puzzles. So I enjoyed um, software engineering because for me it was like, it's like I get to play video games every day. <laughs> um, so I really enjoyed that. And it was cool to learn about all of these different types of engineering. And for a little while I was kind of like, I think all girls should go into engineering. Everyone should be exposed to it. And then I, I as time's gone on, I'm like, okay, your brain kind of has to be wired for it. <laughs> I get that now, but, um, but it is something that I think, um, it has gotten better over time. Um, I think like my niece, she's in what she like 10, um, and she's in a robotics club in elementary school and things like that. Um, I think, Uh, When I was a kid, I didn't really get exposed to what you would use math for. I knew I was good at math, but I didn't understand what you would use it for. I think that our education system can do a lot better about um, applying things. You know, you had these word problems about, like, tell me how much water would go into a pool. And it's like, I'm not interested in that. I don't care. (laughs) But I think... Yeah, anyways, rambling again, but...
0: No, you're, you're, you're spot on. Like I, I'll tell you right now, I wish that the kids said something better about that because I, I my brain isn't necessarily wired to math, and I didn't do enough studying, so that's not completely, like, I'm not... No, I have responsibility there, and I didn't do enough studying, but I feel like, yeah, they just... It's a lot of math things thrown at you, but you really have no idea why you're doing it or what it could be used for. Uh, right. And... And it's just it's for one whose brain is not wired in that direction anyway, boy, that that really makes make things difficult. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah, and like for me, you know, so software engineering is not something you need math for. Um, I didn't take I ha- I didn't take any math classes throughout college, and I didn't take any math classes my last two quarters of my senior year. So oh, okay. um, I haven't done math. In years uh, but my husband's an electrical engineer and that's what he's studying right now and um, we actually met in a programming class fun but um, but he is so excited to tell me about all of these math things that he's learning and it kind of goes over my head I'm looking at some of his problems and I'm like I knew I knew what that meant at one time but I have no idea what that means now but he's explaining to me like what that means in the physical world and like it makes me think like just have this greater appreciation of like how god created the world and how smart he is and like how complex the universe is and everything fits and it's just so cool but i didn't appreciate that when i was learning that
0: yeah yeah no I, I i i love that and i think um I think, for me, it's one of the things I don't understand math very well, but once I do understand what it's used for or, like, how it works, and I think it's, I think it's super cool, and I understand agree with you, I think, you know, and then this could be a, a rabbit hole, I don't know if I want to go down, but I do think when you're going to talk about how it's amazing and it shows just how complex God's creations are, for me, it, it 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 shows that, you know, there's, a, this, there's this divide in the world sometimes of it's either... You know, it's either God or science and math and all that stuff. And you know, but I think it's not an either-or. Like when you get to things that are that complex, it goes, "This has mm-hmm. to be of divine power because this is, this is, this is insane." You know what I mean? And when you see the complexities of the it's like there's no either-or here. Like it's it, it, the fact that it's so complex but so ordered speaks to, to that. I think there's there's a a harmony between math and science and, um, and the divine more than there is. The yeah. Divide. So. I
1: definitely agree. I think um, something, a book I would recommend to anybody is the other Einstein. Um, and it's a narrative biography, right? So it takes, it takes um, what fictional, not fictional liberties, artistic license Um, and but it's uh, it's about einstein's first wife maleva and she was a physicist and they actually met in school and she was one of the first um, women uh, to go to that school and to study physics and they actually worked on a lot of things together and she um helped him with some of his papers but her name wasn't on them. Oh. Um but it was a fascinating story and I loved it because it talked about her relationship with God. Like I I I I love her story on so many levels, but and it was beautifully told. But it goes through um just so much. Really recommend it. But um but one of the things that I really love about um what I learned about her was that um you know science was one of her ways of connecting with God. That, you know, she she really connected with God in nature and she really connected God with physics and and I love that perspective um of this, you know, strong woman who um Went through just crazy things and wasn't always treated fairly, but um, uh, you know, wonderful, wonderful story, and you can I I could probably talk for an hour about that, but I'll just say read it.
0: <laughs> no, it sounds it sounds fascinating. Was she, I'm just curious. Cause I think you know, and uh, I I love I love religious history myself, and uh, and uh, and such. Was she Jewish like
1: Einstein was, or um, I don't actually remember she was from um, oh, she wasn't she was from a country that I'm blanking on the name right now, but um it was not a well respected country at the time. I think there was a lot of um discrimination towards that country, I think. Um, I don't remember her religion, Okay. but she, I mean, one interesting thing, and this isn't, you know, related to her religion, but um, she had, I don't, I don't remember what this condition is called, but one of her legs was like slightly shorter than the other. Oh, okay. and so where she was from um, that, like, basically meant that she was um, not marriage material. She would never get married. And oh. so that was one of the, the um, kind of chips her dad used to get her into school. To say, like, um, and she probably wouldn't have been admitted to a lot of the schools where she was the only woman um, if that hadn't been the case. And so she was able to get this, um, you know, her secondary education uh, in her country. And then she was able to be admitted um, to uh, further education in Zurich where things were a little more progressive. So I think that's really interesting how, um, I don't know, I think it's kind of fun that I relate to her on some levels of like, I know what it's like to be the only girl in my class. I thought it was kind of fun. Um, I enjoyed that dynamic. But um, but I think that it's interesting. Also, just um, things that you you think maybe preclude you from other things or maybe other people don't respect about you, those things can drive you to be successful in other areas.
0: Absolutely, I um, I love that. And I think those things can give you more um, empathy as well for people who struggle similarly. Um, and that's exactly. a huge, huge, huge quality to have, um, for sure. Um, so, boy, you've got me to another topic I want to talk about. Do you? Uh, I know it's on a bit longer than I said, do you have time? Well, no, if not, we can make this a, a two-parter. I have point. time. Okay we're going into a great <laughs> great interview here for our listeners this is this is longer than I expect. I apologize but I think it's a great interview but you talk about different things that preclude us uh, or that we think might preclude us from um achieving or getting certain places that we want to go um and so that immediately you know, that and and, and and that made me think then of um and I mentioned this in podcast before that i have i have o c d and and i'm not crazy severe but certainly enough to you know have have um gotten counseling about it and, and such. But I know that when we, uh, you know, on the Improxium College and such, one thing I found out about about you that uh, uh, I think might be interesting for our listeners to hear more about is um, you were diagnosed with uh, Tourette's, uh, Tourette's syndrome, is that the technical term for it, right? Yes. Okay. Um, and so I guess I think most, had I not known you, I think most of our I would assume that most of our listeners, um, the general way it's portrayed, as like in media and things, is, but, and I hate to say it, but my like the way I thought about it was something about people who swear a lot. I mean, that's not that's like you know it's like people <laughs> who clean a lot, and I'm like, well, I'll tell you what, right now, I'm not cleaning the house ten hours a day, so that that's not me. Uh, but what <laughs> in reality? What what, what does Tourette look like, um, and is that part of it for some people, or what is it? What what is it? Uh, I guess uh, that's yeah. how about
1: yeah. So Tourette's syndrome, like the name, is kind of arbitrary. You have to have let's let me see if I remember this correctly. Um, at least two motor tics, so involuntary movements, right? Okay. Um, and at least one vocal tic for more than a year in order to have okay. Tourette's syndrome. And so this is really interesting because you can have people with insanely severe um, motor tics, like to the point where, um, you know, they're violently moving their arms to the point where maybe it pops out of the socket sometimes. Um, and, but they don't have any vocal tics. And so they don't have Tourette's. Huh.
0: Um,
1: so I I personally found that very interesting when I was first learning about it. Um, so my tics, started when I was 17 um normally normally uh, you know it's not a typical thing right you don't meet a ton of people with it but um in fact I think I've met two I'm being generous I'm pretty sure it's one anyway so um uh so when I was 17 I was in a car accident um, we got rear-ended by a car and the con, the idea that was explained to me, and you know, this is conjecture, but was that, you know, the car was built to kind of withstand that kind of thing. Nothing really bad happened to the car. And so the theory, like we couldn't open the trunk, that was it. Um, but the theory is the shock wasn't absorbed by the car. And so it was absorbed into our bodies. And I have cousins with ticks um and minor ones, and um so the idea was maybe I had a genetic predisposition for it, and that shock kind of um you know woke it up, I guess, so my tick started as like my neck would move, and it was kind of like weird. I didn't do that like that's odd, and then, um, they progressed to me hitting things. Um and kicking and uh running places and scooting downstairs and rolling around on the ground and uh crazy, crazy times. Um really bad in high school. Uh sometimes to the point where if I wasn't sleeping I was moving and it was exhausting. I was so tired. Um And, uh, then I had my first vocal tick and I was so upset that I did not like, I did not, um, acknowledge that it had really happened because I was like, if I have a vocal tick, that means I have Tourette. And at that time that was like, I cannot have Tourette's. I don't have Tourette's. That's not a thing I have. Um, But my first uh, vocal tick, funnily enough, was a meow. So that was my vocal tick, my classic, um, always go back to vocal tick. Um, But anyways, that's kind of my start with it. Um, And uh, we went to a neurologist and I was kind of, I did not like the idea of the side effects from the medication that he was going to prescribe. Uh I knew I knew that it was probably a pretty low chance that I would experience those side effects mm-hmm. because of the dose he was gonna give me, but I was not thrilled. And so my parents thought, well, you know, we might as well try acupuncture. Let's just see what happens. Um and as soon as the needles went in, I went two days with two ticks. Oh wow. Um and so it was incredibly effective for me. Um and I uh, I've managed it that way for a long time now. Um and there are spurts where it's worse than others, but for the most part um you know, I it's it's not especially now in the last um couple of years when I when I was when I first experienced it, I was kind of told that um you know that for some people it kind of goes away in your late twenties. Um, then I'm mid twenties right now. And so I I have had barely any issues with it in the last year and a half. Um, funnily enough, since COVID hit, you'd think that the stress of COVID (laughs) would make it worse, but it hasn't. Um, so, but anyways, um, that's kind of an overview, uh, but I think, you know, it's it's. Anyway, I'll, I'll let you talk for a minute because I just kind of spat out a huge no, part of my that. life story. <laughs>
0: well, I appreciate that. Um, I, I, I a question yeah, a question I do have. I know for for on on the OCD end of things, um, you know, if, if an OCD person, like I said, my my struggles really aren't to do with with counting or or. Or, or or things like that, but I know some people OCD peoples are, and and usually what does it is it's their mind is worried about something, uh, and their thoughts are if I don't do this thing, if I if I don't count to this number or do only even numbers or uh, uh or you know if I don't do this thing, then X Y or Z may happen. So the compulsions are more of a preventative measure to guard against the anxiety that the obsessions in the the mind are causing. For Tourette, is there any um you know, with, with the ticks, is there what so I, I, I was saying, for so you technically use control the compulsion, you just get immense anxiety if you if you don't do them. For, for for Tourette, do you have any uh notion that they're coming, that oh my arm is about to move or oh I'm about to make that sound or whatever, <laughs> or did it just, did it just come? And in your mind, is there a reason for it or is it just completely at random? There's no connection between what you're thinking or feeling and what's, ha- what's happening.
1: It's really interesting. It's so complicated. And I can tell you, like, of course, I can tell you my experience and what I associate with things, but hmm. you know, it might be completely different for someone else. Um well. But for me, uh, let's see, I think um, there were lots of different things that I associated with um, aggravating my tics. Um, You know, I had – I talked to – this was not like an official counseling session, but it was um, a friend of mine, an older woman, who – who was a counselor and we talked a little bit and she had me do an exercise of writing down the thoughts that I had before each tick. And, um, it was pretty consistently self deprecating thoughts that I didn't realize I was having. And it would be kind of like, Oh, that was a dumb thing to say. And I would, you know, have a tick or like, Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Or, you know, yeah, um, or um maybe thinking I said something and maybe I thought it was taken the wrong way or something like that. Um, so that was one. Uh, so before that, you know, I think I did associate it with like social pressures. Um, okay. But it was interesting that um I ticked less around people who didn't know I had that condition right? It was easier for me to kind of control. And the way I kind of described it to people was imagine a cell phone vibrating, and this isn't actually how physics works, I don't think, but this is how I imagined it. But imagine an object vibrating, and then you hold it. And, um, you know, it like, it's it's not really, you can tell that it, it's still vibrating, but it's not moving around as much, but then you let go and it kind of goes crazy. It's like all over the place. Yeah. Um, and that's how, kind of how my ticks were. I could, I could go into, a uh, a situation where I could work really hard to, to not. But then as soon as I was out of that situation, it would come like 10 times worse. Okay. Um, and, and then as far as like how it felt, um, I could feel them coming. Like, it's kind of funny cause I would, it was dangerous to be next to me cause a lot of like my mom wouldn't sit next to me on the couch for a long time because <laughs> I would hit next to me on the couch. I would just backhand punch. And, um, so, uh, But it was interesting that, like, sometimes I would apologize before I did it um, because it's kind of like, you know, you're, I imagine, a radio between your brain and your your, uh, muscles. And normally you don't really think about it. It's kind of a subconscious, like, um, transmission of commands. But, um, with Tourette's, it's kind of like there's someone else who has that radio too. And they're like giving you a command and you can hear it coming. You see it going through, but it's already been transmitted and you can do nothing about it. Interesting. Um, unless you're like actively doing something else. So like in order to manage or not manage, but like, um, suppress my tick a lot of times I would do a smaller motion um and like just move my fingers around and try to dissipate that energy a different way and that would help um so things like that I could do to um you know try to not and I could and I could maintain that for a little while
0: okay very interesting interesting yeah I feel like um Clearly, it's different from OCD in the sense that it's not a, 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 you know, it's not a mental disorder. But when you, if I'm understanding you correctly, um, but it feels like it has some similar principles. Interestingly, just because you talk about, like, how you have to do something else, um, and I feel like in the OCD world, that is, like, can be one of the golden rules if you're, like, super anxious You know, he's like, I have to do this thing right now, this compulsion right now, and if I don't, I'm any more anxious, but sometimes the best way to to help it is to do something else. So if I'm, you know, if I'm really anxious and I'm at work, then it's just to dig into this report and just focus just solely on that, and eventually the obsessive thought dissipates. So it sounds like it's similar in principle kind of way, but obviously it's different. By a lot, uh, yeah
1: and it's really interesting how related OCD and um and Tourette's are like how much overlap there are in people um yeah. like I never went to this support group um but I heard about it of it was an OCD support group but like half of them had Tourette's um and uh it, I also thought it was funny I heard that um when a bunch of people with Tourette's get together, uh, the power of suggestion is crazy strong with Tourette's. Um, It's really interesting. Um, But they would pick up each other's kicks when they get together. And it's really interesting. Um, But yeah, it's, It is really interesting, the things that are different and the things that overlap. And I mean, as far as like thinking about something, it's funny that, um, uh, you know, there were, there's only been a handful of times in my life where I felt like I was experiencing it so badly that I didn't feel safe driving because in general, well, I mean, almost not in general, always. I didn't kick while I was driving. I mean, maybe I'd have, a, like, a, a hitting the passenger. You probably didn't want to be in my passenger seat. Um, but – and and that would only happen at red lights. It's like my body knew what would kill us, mm-hmm. right? Um, or maybe I was so focused on, you know, this, this task, this kind of subconscious task that um, – that didn't happen, but it was it was just kind of interesting that it never never happened when I was driving.
0: Interesting, interesting, or yeah, rather, never
1: interfered with my driving.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny that you mentioned that. Like, um, what do you say that that like your body knows when it's at the point where it, like, it, it could like what do you say it could kill you, like you had a red light or something like that? Yeah, um, yeah. And it's just funny because again, I know they're completely different physiologically, I my understanding maybe not, but when again with O C D point out the O C D works, at least as far as scrupulosity, which is what I have, over religious and ethical O C D there'll be times where your mind will will start like without you trying to, will start producing these horrible, heinous thoughts in the worst moments. Like you'll you'll be mm-hmm. in the moments where like these thoughts shouldn't be happening. So you'll be, you know, in the temple or church or something, you know, or prayer, and, and that's when, yeah, you know, it's almost like your mind knows, your mind's like, oh, you shouldn't be thinking bad thoughts, especially here. Well, just so you know. <laughs>
1: oh, <laughs>
0: because, oh, yeah. That's it so it's interesting that, um, you know, and uh, for those of you personally, you have to learn that that's not you, it's just the OCD, and because those thoughts mm-hmm. go in doesn't you know, doesn't mean you have to, to um, go confess them or whatever. But anyway, so interesting similarities. Um, last thing we'll, we'll wrap up with is for you having a, um, having Tourette syndrome ultimately has that been, I guess, how have you been able to see that? You know, we talked about things that initially can seem, uh, like the, Einstein's wife, you're talking about things that can necessarily like setbacks that end up being kind of catapults forward. Have you been able to see that play any kind of role in your life? Or if not, at I least mean, how have you been able to feel so like you can, um, like you said in high school, I, I can't have threats, I just can't have threats. How have you been able to keep? Let me me rephrase that. Yeah, I guess. How have you seen it being a help in your life? And if it had been a hindrance, how have you been able to mitigate that and keep moving forward anyway, I guess?
1: Yeah, I think um, it's been uh, incredibly, it was incredibly formative for me. Um, You know, experiencing it at a time, you know, teenagers, right? You're very self-conscious anyway, having these things that like really draw a lot of attention to you. Um, But, you know, it was interesting. I made friends through it that I probably wouldn't have made otherwise. um, Because because I treated it in a way that... um, I always joked about it. I always laughed about it. It was something, the type of thing where you could laugh or cry about it. It's it's one or the other. And so, um, and it was bizarre. It was hilarious. Like if you like weren't it. Um, (laughs) and so I, I, um, I played with it and I let my friends play with it. And, um, like, I was in theater in high school, and so there were, you know, only four or five guys, but, you know, they didn't really know how to talk to girls, but um, because they could kind of make fun of it with me, I think it kind of broke the ice in that way, and I was able to make friends that way, because in a funny way, it made me more approachable, um, okay. just the way I handled it, and I think um, I've experienced that in other other ways too. And, um, also it's just, uh, it's given me a different, uh, with something that, you know, when I was first experiencing, it really made me look, I felt like every time I had a tick, I I had a really hard time having conversations with people about normal things. Like, Mm -hmm. why would I talk to you about what you watched on TV last night? If, when it's so clear to everyone in this room that I am broken. Um, but it helped me to the only way I could fight that, um, was to really focus on other people and focus on what I had to contribute to other people and service. And so I think, um, that was really formative for me, um, learning to, associate um or to respond with to difficult um self-absorbing events with looking outside of myself and looking for opportunities to make the world better um and i think that um you know those kind of perspectives that it gave me i think uh um helped shape some of my values that I share with my husband and those types of experiences that we've both gone through in different ways, um, helped us relate better and respect each other more. Um, and I think that, you know, all of these different things, um, you know, made me realize that I can do hard things. Uh, and that, you know, I'm, I'm not my body. I'm, uh you know I'm I'm in charge. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, man, I I I yeah, uh, I love that. I think that is a, a lesson I know I could learn, learn learn from and I I think our our listeners could too. Um if you can use challenges uh if if you can, if you can use challenges as a means to enhance the capacity to serve and be outside yourself man that is that is a, uh, that's saying something and uh i i know that's something that i i hope to improve upon uh, but thank you for sharing i think that's um that's incredible and i think i think that's a large reason for challenges anyway is to increase that capacity we have to serve others so um Victoria, it has been a a, a a great interview. I feel like I've only done like five episodes so far, but if there was like an Emmy Award winner, I feel like it would be this <laughs> one. So I appreciate all all your insight into things that I didn't know before, including about software engineering, um, threats, and just life philosophies in general. So um, thank you, thank you so much for for the interview, and uh, thank you for our listeners um, again. If you uh, would like to be interviewed, or if you know someone who would. You can always email uh, uh, email me at show at gmail.com. And, of course, this episode will be available through uh, Anchor and other major platforms as well as linked on Facebook. So thank you again, Victoria, and uh, you have a, a great rest of your day.
1: Thank you so much. This has been great. All right. Thanks.